just one announcement before we get started this morning is uh, Bill Barham's mother passed away um, earlier this week and I just wanted to let the church know and wanted to ask you to pray for him for his family she was a wonderful lady impacted lots and lots of people there's a lot of people hurting right now family members friends so if we could keep them in our prayers and uh, it's wonderful that she had a testimony of, of trusting in Jesus alone for salvation so there's comfort and there's confidence and there's joy there she's much better off now than, than we are than, than she was in, in her sickness and, and illness. So wonderful for her, but there's still people here that are, that are hurting. Uh, today we're going to be in John 8, continuing through John 8. Uh, verse 31 through 36 today. And we're just building on the building on the story that we've been looking looking at, building on these details that that surrounds Jesus's interaction with with the Jewish leaders, with other Jews that were around. Um, a lot going on. It seems that it's a lot the same idea every week that we've been studying this. But the story keeps keeps building. There's some ups. There's some downs. There's some uh, depressing thoughts in here. Some some thoughts that you look at and it just makes you makes you sad but uh through it all you can see the the sufficiency of of Christ and you can see Christ alone for salvation and yes there's some negative there but um, we see Christ as the light of the world, presenting himself as the light of the world and the freedom that is in Christ. So I, I titled the message today, True Freedom or Really Free, whatever you want to write down. Um, I like true freedom personally. Um, but uh, last week we saw the warning and the reality for those who reject Christ. Uh, we looked at a group of, of people that were trusting in their righteousness or they were trusting in their family line and they were rejecting the righteous Savior. So a very sad situation to look at where the light, the truth, the way is standing right in front of them and they're rejecting Him, who He is, the, the truth that He is, the freedom that is in Him, and they're relying on who they are, who their family is, that they're of the seed of Abraham, that they're so righteous, they've done all these good deeds, that Jesus, you're crazy, quit talking to us, we don't, we don't really like you very much, or at least what you say. Um, a huge problem to reject Jesus as Lord, as Savior. And Jesus told them the result of this was that they would die in their sins. As is the same result for anyone who, who rejects Jesus. You're going to die in your sins. For anyone who rejects the way, the truth, the life, the consequence is, is the same. You are dead. You're stuck in the bondage, in the penalty for your sins. And uh, we looked at those details in depth last week. But we ended in verse 30. And if you were here, you remember I kind of started to go somewhere and I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going there yet. Well, we're going to go there this week and we're going to look at it because it almost was a deceptive spot to end there in verse 30 where we read, as he spake these words, many believed on him. And we're going to see Jesus today in our text, address those that believed and, and I questioned their belief. Jesus 
points out they didn't really believe in him in the verses that, that we look at today. Um, but we're going to look at Jesus addressing those people, and he tells them what it looks like to truly believe in him. Um, I believe we see people here that, that they they kind of believed some things about Jesus, like they saw his miracles, they, they saw his works, they saw some things about Jesus. They kind of believed some things about him, but they end up having a problem with his message, with his words, with the reality, with the truth of who he is and what he represents and what he speaks. So you see these people that kind of like some things about him. Maybe they believe he's a prophet. And we've addressed all this stuff as we've been going through the Gospels, but, but we see it again here. We, we see this theme throughout this chapter. They have a problem with Jesus' message and they reject who he is. Sure, I believe there's some that truly believed. There's some that truly followed Jesus. We, we see their example as we get into to the book of Acts. We see there's actually a group of believers that truly follow Jesus more than the 11. I mean, one of the 12 even forsook Jesus and sold him out for money. He wasn't truly following Jesus. So he had a problem with who Jesus was. Um, so sure, there was some that believed. But we'll, we'll see how these people end up responding to Jesus. They say they believe in Him, but their actions say something completely different. Um, verse 59, then they took up stones to cast at Him. They wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus is addressing the people that said that they believed in Him, and they take up stones to kill Him. That is not the way that disciples act that are, that are truly free indeed, that are free in Christ, that have salvation, that have new life in Christ. So, quite a bit to cover. Um, I don't think we'll, I don't know how long it'll take, so not that you guys care anyways. Um, but let's look at our text together, uh, starting in verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. In the midst of this, these negative thoughts of the, the consequences for rejecting Christ, we also get this glimpse of, of the freedom that is in Christ, that Christ truly brings spiritual freedom. And I don't want to overshadow that by looking at these negative aspects of those who are rejecting Him and don't believe in Him. There is freedom in Christ, and we have joy as believers. We have been freed from the bondage of sin. That's the wonderful news there. I promise. Isn't, it, isn't that good news to be freed from the, concept, from the, the slavery of sin? That's, I'm thankful for that. Um, let's pray together, and then we'll jump into our text, and we'll walk through that. Dear Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that, that we can meet together today. I pray that you'll please work in our hearts. Please give us understanding. Please give me understanding. Please work in my heart. I pray that um, you'll just help me to speak 
clearly and uh, that uh, we'll be open and obedient to whatever you have for us today. I pray that our, our response will be to praise you for your faithfulness, for your working, for your, your dealings in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the first part of verse 31, we'll jump right into it. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. <clears throat> so who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to those Jews who believed on him. Who In verse 30, there were some Jews that said they believed on, on Jesus. Uh, one, one commentator said of, of these people, This section of discourse is addressed to those who believe and yet do not believe. Clearly, they were inclined to think that what Jesus said was true, but they were not prepared to yield to Him the far-reaching allegiance that real trust in Him implies. And he goes on to say, this is a most dangerous spiritual state. To recognize that truth and do nothing about it means that in effect one ranges oneself with the enemy of the Lord. So it's like you have this group that wants to believe some things about God, but yet not His Word, not, not that He actually is the truth, that He is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life. There's just this, this vague belief in the sense that you're a special man or there is a God. Or, and we see this today, oh, I believe there's a God, I just don't believe in Jesus. Or, or I don't believe Jesus says this or does this, but I believe there, there's a God. Uh, believing that there is a God is not the same as believing that He is the only hope for salvation. And an example of this, just I've, I've mentioned this conversation before, but I was speaking with a man who oh, I believe in. I believe in God. I believe that there is a God, but I'm not. I am in no way going to admit that I'm a sinner. That I need someone to save me. I'm not willing to admit that I have a sin problem, but oh yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe God even created the world, which that was kind of a new one for me to hear someone believe in creation and believe things about God in the sense that um, generally take a, a bit of, of faith and trust in God, but he'd believe these things about God, but he didn't believe in, in Jesus as Savior, as Lord, and he, there was pride there and no willingness to admit that I have a sin problem and I need help. It's, oh, I got this figured out. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm good with, with who I am. I don't need anyone, which tends to be the tendency of men sometimes, right? Oh, I got this. Step back. I'll, I'll get this figured out. The big problem in your spiritual standing before God because every single person needs help, and we need Jesus. This rejection of Jesus keeps you in line with those who are spiritually dead. So you're, you're in the same spiritual standing before God, even if you acknowledge God as those who say there is no God, if there's not that willingness to believe in, in Jesus and all that comes with the gospel. So Jesus, Jesus goes on in this chapter to reveal the reality of those that claimed to believe. 
and you might be scratching your head. It says they believed. What are you saying they, they didn't believe? How do you know there wasn't true belief there? Well, Jesus is addressing those who believed on him. And this whole, the whole rest of the chapter, he ends up calling them out and saying, this is who you are. This is what you believe. This is your problem right here. And Jesus just goes on to let them know where they truly stand. Verse 34, they're still the servants. They're still the slaves of sin. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love Me. They didn't really love Jesus. Verse 38, 41, 42, or 44, they are actually children of the devil, Jesus calls them. How's that for strong language? They believe some things about him, and Jesus calls them the children of the devil. Not a real popular message. Not a real popular thing to stand in front of people and say, you're of your father the devil. You're children of the devil. But the reality is, apart from Christ, that's exactly who we are. Dead in our trespasses and sins. They refuse to believe in him. Verses 45, 46. They blaspheme him. Verse 48, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. There's some strong language from them. They're blaspheming God, saying that he has a devil. Verse uh, 52, Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Verse 37, verse 40, verse 59, they're seeking to kill him. They reject him. They seek to kill him. They don't believe him as the way, the truth, the life. What we see here in this chapter is not evidence of those who love and follow Jesus. It's not the first time we've seen this in our studies either. It's not like Jesus just gets to this point and, and calls these people out for, for not believing. We saw it earlier in, in John 2. We saw it in John chapter 6. John 2, verses 23 through 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. We've studied this passage in depth too. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not what they should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew them. He knew who they really were. He knew the lack of the faith or the lack of belief that they had. They liked some things that he did, but didn't truly believe in who he was. John 6, this is lets you know how people really are, right? John 6, 14 and 15. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world... When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So Jesus does a miracle. The people are like, let's rise up. Let's make Jesus king. He, he must be something special here. The very end of that same exact chapter, John 6, verse, verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is an hard saying. Who can hear it? So Jesus says some stuff that they really don't like, that they can't, that they can't swallow. And they say, who, who, can, who can hear what he has to say? Verse 66 of the same chapter, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They wanted to make him king, 
But then he starts to speak. They like what he can do, but then he starts to speak and they walk away and they reject him. They don't follow him. There's not true, genuine belief there. They liked some of what Jesus could do, but they rejected the truth of who he was. And that's that's huge problem. The second part of verse 31. Jesus says, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So you say that you believe in me. Well, here's how you know that you really believe in me, that you really follow me. Jesus isn't giving a requirement for becoming a disciple. He's speaking of the evidence of those who are true disciples. And when I say disciple, I'm I'm talking about a follower of Jesus, true believers. A, A disciple is a learner that adheres to the teaching of a spiritual leader. So they believe in Jesus and that they they follow what He says because they truly believe who He is and He is working in their lives. The Spirit is working in, in the hearts and lives of believers. God is working in their hearts and then that compels them to follow Him because they actually believe who He is, that He is who He says He is. Those who truly believe accept Christ as Savior and they follow or they obey Him. That's not a popular common thought to think of today, obeying someone that's not yourself. But when Jesus is Lord, when He's the Lord of your life, you recognize Him as your authority, so you follow Him and you obey Him as Lord. Submission and surrender is at the heart of the Gospel invitation. This this thought doesn't sit well with the prideful, sinful human heart, does it? I mean... This could make you really mad to consider someone as my Lord, someone as my Savior. Well, that's pride. That's the human heart against the reality, the truth of God. But it's so interesting that true freedom is found with Jesus as Lord. That's where true freedom actually is. And the world wants to look at it as bondage, as as slavery. But there is true freedom in Jesus, with Jesus as Lord, and in following Him, in obeying Him. Uh, another commentator said, uh, the, the true disciples are, are word-oriented in the sense of, of following what Jesus said. They recognize that it is the word of His grace which is able to build them up. That's from Acts chapter 20, verse 32. They understand the importance of being doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. That's from James chapter 1. True believers are like newborn babies longing for the pure milk of the Word so that by it they may grow. 1 Peter 2, 2. They possess the desire that the psalmist had when he wrote, Oh, how I love your law. Psalms 119.97. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Psalm 119.72. The disciples, the true disciples, the true actual believers have a passion to know, to love, and to obey their Lord. And doesn't that make sense? When we understand our spiritual slavery, our our spiritual bondage, the spiritual oppression that sin has on us, the hold that the devil has on us apart from Christ, and then... We know Christ and we're in Christ and there's this, this freedom. The chains are broken, they're gone, and there's this freedom in Christ. And I'm not speaking towards a legalistic gospel here where you have to do this and this and this to truly 
become a follower of Christ. It's as a follower of Christ, you have this passion to know God and to love God and to follow God. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here because it should be very clear to you all over the last, I don't know how long, 12 years that I've been here, that I have never preached a gospel that says you have to do this, do this, do this to be right before God. I have spoken against that. This passage is actually against this legalistic self-righteousness. But I do want us to see that, that those who know Christ, the followers of, of Christ, love Him, recognize Him as Lord, and He works on our hearts to follow Him and to obey Him and to want to know Him more. So just to clarify that, if there's any doubt or, or question about what I was saying there, it's God working in us that brings about this love and this passion for Him. We love Him because He first loved us. Uh, verse 32 of John chapter 8. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I've heard that verse misrepresented a few times in a, in a few different ways. Jesus is speaking of, of knowing Him, of, of knowing the truth, and there is freedom in actually knowing Him. One of the blessings of believing in Jesus and obeying His Word is that you will know the truth. Real truth, not someone's opinion of the truth. The real truth is found in Christ. John 1.17, we know grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? It's through Christ that we know grace at all. Amazing grace. Have you considered how amazing grace actually is? Getting something that we do not deserve. We do not deserve this freedom. We deserve the bondage of our sin. We deserve the, the, the punishment for our sin. Can you see why this isn't a popular message? We know grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And it's not my job to stand up here and tickle your ears and make you feel good about yourself. That's why when we get to a passage like this, it's, it's, it can be kind of rough and it can be kind of quiet. And there, but my job is to speak truth and to teach Jesus as truth. John 14.6 tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Ephesians 4.21, the truth is in Jesus. Real, absolute truth is found in Jesus. And our world seems to reject the idea of there being absolute truths. There are no absolutes. Well, that's an absolute statement to say there are no absolutes. They're contradicting themselves. But there's a world that says, well, how can you really know? How can you know? How can you know that there's no absolute truth? Well, absolute truth is found in Christ. God's Word is truth, and it can and should be believed confidently. God's Word reveals truth, and the Holy Spirit teaches God's truth to believers. Isn't that encouraging to know we have the Holy Spirit of God working in us to help us know and understand? And haven't you seen Him work? As you are looking for truth, as you're reading His Word, what does that mean? God teaches us 
somehow. A, a book that is still relevant for ever. I mean, pick up any other book that was written a long, long time ago and try to see if that is a discerner in the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's Word reveals truth, and the Holy Spirit teaches God's truth to believers. God's Word is alive and powerful. The truth is knowable. God teaches, and God reveals His truth. Uh, the second part of verse 32, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. Believing in Jesus, obeying Him, and knowing the truth brings about spiritual freedom. A freedom that is amazing. A freedom that is unbelievable, almost indescribable. A freedom from the bondage of the lies of Satan, of, of, of condemnation, of judgment, of spiritual ignorance, of spiritual death, of sin. That's some powerful truth there. That's some powerful freedom where Christ can free us from all those things. You can look at... at a, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus speaking here, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So Jesus reads here back from Isaiah. He, he speaks from Isaiah, reads from Isaiah, speaks of, of what, is, what is going to happen. Verse 21, And he began to say unto them, This day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. You see the freedom Jesus is talking about? You see what Jesus says is going to happen? And then He says, This day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. There is freedom in Jesus. There is bondage. There is punishment. There is slavery within sin. But within Jesus, there is freedom. And there is grace. And there is forgiveness. Galatians 5.1 tells us that there is freedom in Christ. And true freedom is in Christ alone. A true freedom is in nothing else. It's not in doing so many good deeds or you name it. True freedom is in Christ alone. Jesus says, believe me, follow me, obey me. You will know the truth. And the truth will free you. The truth shall make you free. Verses 33 and 34 they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So, we see their, their rejection. They respond with rejection. How do they respond? We're already free. We have never been in bondage. Don't you know whose seed we are? Don't you know that, that we're from the line of Abraham? Don't you know who our father is? Now in reading that, if you know anything about Old Testament history, 
they must have had really bad memories. Or they're referring to spiritual freedom. But think about who they've been in slavery to. It's not just one time. It wasn't just in Egypt. They've been in slavery in Egypt to Assyria, to Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Syria, and currently they were oppressed by Rome when they said this. So they weren't thinking clearly. They had really bad memories. They didn't really count that as slavery or bondage. Or they're saying, hey, we're good spiritually. We have never been slaves spiritually. We've never been in bondage spiritually. We are of the line of Abraham. We have a very important family member, Abraham. Jesus, did you forget where Father Abraham? Did you forget that? They saw this, that Abraham is their father, and they believed that they were spiritually free. What were they trusting in? It wasn't the truth. They were trusting in their religion. They were trusting in their family line. They were trusting in their righteousness for freedom. Is there any freedom in that? No. Freedom is in Christ. There is no true freedom in that stuff. True freedom doesn't come from racial and religious identity. Well, I'm this religion. I am right before God, or this is my parent. These are my parents. My dad was a pastor. I'm right before God. I'm, I'm Jewish. I am absolutely guaranteed right before God. That is not the way that it works. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. True freedom is found in Christ, in His working, in the life that He gives, not some life that we conjure up or some freedom that we, that we conjure up because any freedom apart from Christ is not freedom at all. It is bondage. Then verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily. We've looked at that. He's truly, truly. What I'm about to say is, is verily, very important to you. So focus up. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That, the word committeth in there is in the present tense. It's, it's speaking of sin as a life principle, of innate, essential fallenness, of the part that we are sinful individuals, not just individual acts of sin, but as sinners in general. We know that all have sinned, uh, we know the passages from there, Romans, Romans 5.12, uh, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All humanity has sinned. All are slaves to sin apart from Christ. Jesus telling them, you might think you are free. You are slaves to sin. In spite of your, your proud self-righteousness and self-proclaimed freedom, you are slaves to sin, Jesus tells them. As sinners, you are slaves to sin. And slaves here, the idea is they're controlled, unable to free themselves. No effort of 
Anything on their own could free them from this bondage. They were unable to free themselves. They needed the truth of Christ. They needed Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, Lord, to save them from their sins. The only way for sinners to be released from the slavery and bondage of sin is to be united by faith with Jesus Christ, who was the perfect sacrifice to pay for sins and provide deliverance. And that is where true freedom is found. In Christ, sin is no longer our master. Romans 6.22 But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Sin is not our master. Christ is our master. Then verses 35 through 36, and we'll wrap this up. Back in John 8, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So the slave doesn't have the, the same rights the same permanent rights as the son does. The slave does not have permanent rights, but the son has those rights. And we talked about this when we were in Galatians, but that was like three or four years ago. Uh, but we, we see those examples in there. And it, in their culture, they would understand this, this slavery and how it works and how the servants would be able to do certain things. And, but they did not have the same rights as the son did. Yes, these people were descendants of Abraham, but they were slaves and they were not sons. Matthew chapter 8, 11, and 12. I know we have lots of verses to look at today. Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and from the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Only those who are in Christ, who receive Jesus Christ as as the Son of God, as Messiah and Lord, whether they are descendants of Abraham or not, are truly the sons of God. And then from verse 36, I just want to highlight the thought of, of free indeed from back in uh, John chapter 8, verse 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Hey, if it's Christ that's making you free, if it's Jesus, the Son of God, who is the one making you free, giving you freedom, guess what? You are free indeed. That word indeed means for real, truly free. In Jesus Christ, there is absolute true freedom. Jesus releases those who put their faith in Him from the bondage of sin. And and Romans 8. I just want to highlight a few verses in there. Romans 8, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We are adopted into God's family. Romans 8, 15. In Christ, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Wherefore we cry, Abba, Father. There's not fear 
in Christ. You don't have to wonder, am I enough? Have I done enough? Your hope, your freedom is found in Christ. In Christ we are adopted as children of God. We are adopted into God's family. You can look at Galatians. You can look at Ephesians for that idea. And we are taken from slaves to sons through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. There is true freedom in Christ. There is wonderful freedom found in Christ. Yes, there, there's negatives, huge negatives to rejecting Christ and to continuing in the bondage of self-righteousness or anything other than Christ. But in Jesus, there is true freedom. What a reason to celebrate. What a reason to rejoice. God's working through Jesus, through us, whereby we are freed from sin. I can't think of anything else I'd rather be freed from. It's the greatest freedom. It's eternal freedom. And I'm so thankful to be free for real, or free indeed in Jesus Christ. And our result, or our response, is praising God for His working, for who He is. So thankful for the freedom found in Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for your working, for truth that is found in you. I thank you for the freedom that we have in you. I thank you that we are not slaves to bondage. We're not slaves to religion. We're not slaves to wondering if we've done enough, if we've been good enough, if... if whatever it may be, there is freedom and there is confidence and there is comfort and there is joy in knowing you through Jesus Christ, your Son. I thank you for Jesus and for His, His working. Thank you that you are alive and, and active and, and powerful. I pray that we will recognize you and that our response will be to praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to ask Casey if she'll start...